Hi, thanks for listening to our sermon podcast, Second on the Mount. I'm George Anderson, minister at Second Presbyterian in Roanoke, Virginia. I do not take it for granted that people sit in the pews on Sunday morning or listen to these podcasts hoping to hear something that connects them to God, to each other, to the world. And so I spend hours seeking the right word for the right time and said in the right way. I welcome your feedback. I encourage your sharing this sermon with anyone it might benefit. And I hope you'll return to this podcast again or come visit us for worship. We'd be happy to have you. Let us pray. Holy God, help us hear in the word that is enacted in sacrament, read in scripture, proclaimed in sermon. Help us to hear your word for our lives today. Speak, for your servants listen. Amen. My sermon today is somewhat about old priests and new priests. I hope y'all don't draw analogies. My passage is from Samuel, and every story from Samuel can use a strong dose of historical and literary context, but I'm going to go light on content and heavy on analogy because we have so much to do this service. I'll begin with Eli, the high priest of Israel. Eli has the confirmation responsibility of passing on the tradition of faith to others, in his case, other priests. Normally, those other priests would be his sons because priesthood was a family tradition, but his sons have been disasters for reasons that we're familiar about because we've been reading the headlines over the years. You've seen the headlines about televangelists scamming listeners by promising healing or prosperity in exchange for donations. And you've seen the headlines about priests abusing their positions for sexual favors. Well, now you're up to date about how Eli's grown sons have abused their religious authority and why Eli is giving his attention to an adopted son, to our story. Now the boy, Samuel, was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. At that time, Eli whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. And then the Lord called, Samuel, Samuel. And he said, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Go lie down again. So he went and lay down, and the voice called again, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not know yet the Lord, and the way of the Lord had not been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he got up and he went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. The word of the Lord. 
I know that when we stand to recite the Apostles' Creed, as we will during the confirmation service, we're going to use words and phrases in the way that the Amish community chooses their clothes and tools. We will be purposely out of date as far as the culture is concerned. Because I know that when we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, that God is neither male or female, and all people, no matter their gender, bear within them the image of God. And I know that when we say the Holy Ghost, there has been many a child and a few adults who have thought at least once, boo, before they said, amen. I know that when we say that he ascended into heaven and descended into hell, that we're using flat world imagery and that descended into hell has shaky biblical grounding and is better understood as a theological affirmation that Jesus knows what it is to feel abandoned by God. And I know that when we say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, that it would be clear to say, I believe in the Holy Universal Church, so as not to make folks think that we Presbyterians or Roman Catholic wannabes. Yet I also know that when I stand to recite the Apostles' Creed, I use words and phrases that my father as a child used in his small Appalachian church, and my mother used when she recited the creed as a girl in her high steeple church in Atlanta. In fact, I'm using the same words and phrases of generations of Christians who have played Eli's role in passing on the faith that has so shaped my life and has been such a powerful force. And so with those generations, I say the Lord's Prayer using debts instead of trespasses reflecting Presbyterian tradition, And I sing centuries-old hymns that need to be explained. I mean, where does, here I raise my Ebenezer, what does that mean anyway? And I will light candles during Advent, and I will pray before meals, and I will participate in Second Presbyterian traditions like attending the Christmas dinner and pageant and the pancake breakfast at the beginning of the year, attending worship outdoors on picnic Sunday, and gathering in Kirk Hall for Kairos worship. Tradition is something I hang on to, to remain in connection with God and with those who have passed on to me their faith. And tradition can be especially helpful, and I'll talk about this later, can be particularly harmful in times such as Eli's, when visions are few and a fresh word of the Lord is rare. At such times, tradition can be helpful in the way that a sailboat can be helpful on a windless day. You may not be moving, but at least you have a boat to keep you afloat. Or here's another way of putting it. Tradition needs to be heavy because there are stories to tell and wisdom to impart and disciplines to practice so as to weigh in on a people's conscience and they'll recognize and remember what is right and wrong and leave its mark on an individual's soul. I might sound crazy, but I think as we get away from rituals and tradition, it becomes so much easier to justify what seemed to be and what used to be outrageous. Tradition needs to be heavy, and it needs to weigh in, and it weighed in on Samuel. Let's say Samuel has gone through confirmation. Samuel has been an attentive confirmand and has so listened to Eli's voice that it has become almost like what children used to say about Dr. Hollingsworth. When they heard Dr. Holly's voice, they sometimes thought that they were hearing the voice of God. 
Eli has been for Samuel a dependable guide as to what to believe and how to pray and how to follow disciplines that bring order and structure to life. Eli has taught him what is right and wrong, has taught him how to live as an ethical and responsible member of the community. Now, maybe there were occasions when Samuel rolls his eyes at Eli, muttering, yes, boomer, under his breath. But unlike Eli's sons, he respects Eli. He trusts Eli and trusts the tradition that Eli is passing on to him. But any tradition that is attentive to the voice of God must not only be heavy, it must also be light. Because prayers can become rote, can't they? Rituals can become religious to-dos. And faith can begin to feel less like a relationship with God and more like a litmus test of whether you are in or out. And it can become this list of beliefs or even a sign of one's national or political allegiance more than a commitment to the God of all people and of all nations. Faith becomes something that you hold on to out of anxiety or out of fear or out of pride or because you can leverage it more than something that holds you. Giving you some sense of being loved and claimed, giving wisdom and peace and direction in your life. And the truth is, the tradition that Eli is passing on to Samuel is a dying one. Dying precisely because it has not moved and God's fresh voice is not being heard. With one terrible result being that the powerful priests who are Eli's sons are not only the tradition's defenders, they are the tradition's abusers. One of the most profound insights of Reformation theology is that sin is this parasite that feeds off of virtue. Sin is this parasite that can corrupt anything good, any cause, any government. Any law can be perverted. And when a human system stands still, gets frozen, that's when it's most vulnerable because sin is so cleverly adaptive. Why do telemarketers call you on lines that look local? Why do payday loans charge high interest rates to folks who can barely pay the principal? Why do some poor and some rich and some corporations abuse the welfare systems that are in place for them to help them for their own selfish gain and responsibility avoiding ways? Because they can. Selfish people like Eli's sons find ways to game the system. And the church tradition is a system. And that's why tradition has to be not only heavy, but also light. For tradition to move to places that protect and enhance life, the sturdy boat needs wind in its sails. That's true of law. That's true of government. That's true of one's community. That's true of the system that is one's family. And it is also true of one's church and one's faith. Samuel is right to listen to Eli so as to have a boat of faith to sit on. But as an emerging adult of faith, who must be responsible for 
his life, for his words, for his actions, who must be responsible for the impact he will make on others and the world that he lives in. He now needs to hear a voice that is beyond the voice that is tradition. He needs to hear the fresh voice that is God's spirit. In Hebrew, the word ruah means both spirit and wind. Samuel needs to hear the voice of God to get wind in his sails, to move him where not only he needs to go, but in this story where Israel needs to go. And a night comes when God speaks authentically and individually and freshly to Samuel. Now, because it seems that God hasn't been speaking to anyone lately, it makes sense that when Samuel hears God speaking, he mistakes God's voice for his adopted father's. Samuel, Samuel, the voice says, Samuel's sick, better check on him. Here I am, Samuel yells to Eli, waking him up because Eli didn't actually call his name. It's just the wind, says Eli, and tells Samuel to go back to sleep. And Samuel hears his name called again, Samuel. And again, he says, here I am to Eli. And again, he is told to go back to sleep. And how often has that happened? How often has the church said, go back to sleep to those who hear a fresh word of God that will move the church to where it needs to go? You know, the church should include Gentiles and they shouldn't have to be circumcised or dress or eat as Jews, Paul said. No, said the other apostles at first, you must be a Jew before you're a Christian. Now go back to sleep. The world is round, Giordano Bruno said. No, the world is flat. Now go back to sleep. He was made to go back to sleep by being burned as a heretic, by the way. Worship should be in the language of the people. And people should not be told to purchase their salvation, Martin Luther said. No, we worship in Latin. And we need the money, the Pope said. Now go back to sleep. Women should preach, said churches who recognize God's call in female voices. No, only men preach the gospel. Now go back to sleep. (laughs) They're not going back to sleep. (laughs) Now to the old priest's credit, when Samuel wakes him up a third time, Eli realizes that Samuel is hearing a voice that's not his, and it's a voice that... Maybe Samuel should be listening to perhaps a voice that all of Israel should be listening to. So Eli tells Samuel that the next time he hears the voice speak and say, speak for your servant is listening. And that Samuel does and God starts talking and God tells Samuel that all of tradition is going to change and Eli's family will be left behind. And Samuel tells this to Eli, and again, to the old priest's credit, he tells Samuel to follow God's lead and sails in flight. And not only Samuel, but all of Israel is led to a new place. Today, the first Sunday of 2020, is Confirmation Sunday. That's in itself a break with tradition because we took advantage of having a smaller-than-usual confirmation class to try something new and reduce the class from a school year to a single semester. But what has not changed is that those who are being confirmed have received what Samuel received from Eli. They have been taught the Christian tradition. The confirmation teachers and pastors, particularly Reverend Thompson, have passed on to the confirmands the stories and doctrines of our faith and the wisdom about 
how we Presbyterians go about things. We have given the tradition the weight it deserves. And yet, the pastors and teachers have also tried to honor the voice of God's Spirit in being clear with the confirmands that the future of the church, indeed the future of their families, their country, and the world will, for better or for worse, be shaped in some way by them. They will have many voices trying to direct them or redirect them, including folks like Eli's sons who will use the authority of their position to try to manipulate them to serve their own selfish agendas. But these confirmands were encouraged to listen for the fresh word of God because they might need to be the generation that wakes up and hears a fresh word about where and what we need to do to take care of the planet even if some tell them the planet is fine and to go back to sleep. They might need to be the generation that wakes up and hears a voice calling them to build community in a violent world polarized by tribal politics, even though voices tell them to choose sides and to go back to sleep. They might be the generation that wakes up and hears how to build and take care of families, even as family is redefined, though voices might tell them to go back to sleep. They might be the generation that will hear a voice that teaches them how to pray and worship in freshly authentic ways, even though voices tell them that the way we've always done those things are the only ways to do them and to go back to sleep. We want these young people to feel the weight of a faith tradition because they will be sheep led to cultural slaughter without having some grounding and inherited wisdom. But we also want them to have the kind of relationship with God where they can freshly recognize God's voice and then say, speak, for I am listening. May we all listen to that voice. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus. Jesus.